0: Thank you for tuning in to Dream City Omaha Online. We hope you like this message and that has an impact on your life. Don't forget to like and subscribe for more. Are you ready for the word this morning? Man, like Angel, like Angel said, we could we could say Amen and leave, knowing that we've had church and we've been in God's presence and that God has moved in uh, in our hearts. And if He hasn't moved in your heart yet. Um, my prayer is that he would do so before the end of the service and that you would allow him to do so before the end of the service. You'll have an opportunity at the end of service to, to respond as well to, to whatever it is that God is, is wanting to say to you today. But we're going to get into the word. And, and if you have your Bibles, if you want to take them in turn, we're going to be uh, in the book of Hosea. and uh, And it's one of those... One of those books again. If you if you uh, if you don't know where Hosea is, find Isaiah. Take a right. Keep going until you pass Daniel. You'll get to Hosea. If you turn more than like three or four pages, you might just miss it. Uh, Hosea is the first of the minor prophets in the Old Testament. Now when when we are reading through it chronologically those of you that have been reading through the plan with us you know we've kind of been jumping around we've been in kings and chronicles at the same time because they're both written to give us some historical perspective and context on the nation of Israel and and so we've been we've been going from kings and chronicles and now over the last couple of weeks we've been dipping our toes into the prophets and what the prophets are saying to the nation of Israel as they're 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 coming up against this this time in history where where God has continued to warn them he's continued to 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 bring encouragement and and discipline to them and he's at a point where He's kind of like, all right, if you're not going to listen, last week I said he was like the Verizon guy, right? Can you hear me now? Can you hear me now? Can you hear me now? And if you're not going to listen, then then the Assyrians, a foreign nation is going to come and they're going to take you into captivity. We see it first with the northern kingdom of Israel and Judah at this time. Hezekiah is the king and kind of turns back to the Lord, so God is withholding judgment from them, but then they turn their back and, and eventually Judah's taken into captivity as well. But we haven't got there yet. We'll get there in the next couple of weeks. But Hosea but is the first of the minor prophets. So when we read it chronologically, we read it different than, than it's arranged how we find it in our Bibles today. In the Old Testament, it's arranged really the, the first five books, the Pentateuch, written by Moses. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and then we find history books, Judges, Joshua, all the way through Kings and Chronicles. Then we find the the wisdom and poetry. We find Psalms and Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon. And then we get into the prophetic books. We have the major prophets, Isaiah, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, Daniel, and then we have the minor prophets. And there's a whole list of minor prophets that we're going to to read through. Hosea is the first of the minor prophets. Now they're, they're not called minor prophets because their work is less important. They're not called minor prophets because they are less significant uh, in terms of their ministry, because Hosea's ministry lasted 40 to 50 years. So it's not about the length of ministry or the the significance of ministry. Really, it comes down to the length of their writings and the length of of what we find from them. Isaiah has 66 chapters, major prophet. Obadiah, one chapter, minor prophet. So it's not it's not speaking to their significance. It's only speaking to their writing. But Hosea is the first of the minor prophets.'re um, We're, we're going to get into that in just a second. Before we do though, I wanted to, as we as we get into the prophetic books in our chronological reading, I wanted to read you a, a news article. And as I was studying, as I've been studying for for this point in the the reading plan, Uh, came across this news article. It was posted in the New York Times January 22nd of 1930. And I have a a picture of the newspaper. For those of you that don't know what a newspaper looks like or what a newspaper is, this is a newspaper. Go ahead and put that picture up there. This is the, the paper, the New York Times, from Wednesday, January 22nd, 1930. Now, you can, you can read the, the title across the top, but what I want us to focus on, there's right in the middle, right at the top, underneath where it says, but radio. Some of you might be sitting close enough to read that headline, but the headline is this, man grasps broken wires to complete circuit so radio audience may hear King's speech. That's the the headline of this article. Now, I want us to read the article, and some of you are like, that's going to be impossible. It's okay. You don't have to read it. I will read it for you because I can, I can enlarge it. But here's, here's the article. Here's the, the content of the article. It says, Harold Vivian, chief control operator of the Columbia Broadcasting Company, formed part of the circuit which enabled the radio audience of 59 stations in the United States and Canada to hear the speech of King George V yesterday morning at the opening of the naval conference in London. A few minutes before the king was to speak, a member of the control room staff of the Columbia Company tripped over a wire leading to the generator, which energizes the Columbia network. Vivian examined the breakage. It would take at least 20 minutes, he realized, to make repairs. Meanwhile, the king's speech would be over and thousands of radio listeners who had sat up late or arisen early to hear him would be disappointed. Vivian grasped the ends of the broken wires, one in either hand, to restore the circuit. The shocks of the 250-volt charge and the leakage of current through his body to the floor shook his arms with spasms. But he held on until the new wires could be connected. By that time, his hands had been slightly burned, and he was feeling the effects of the ordeal. As soon as the broadcast was finished, he was sent home to bed. But officials of the company said last night that he was not seriously hurt. The king's speech lasted six minutes. It was not preceded by any announcement. His voice was heard clearly by the audience here. But none of the thousands of the Columbia listeners were aware that save for Vivian's presence of mind and his pluck in clinging to the frayed ends of the broken wires, their wait to hear the king would have been in vain. It's an interesting story. they They're waiting on this radio broadcast from England to come. And and this was new technology at the time. We have to understand that. But a member of the control room staff trips over a wire, breaks the connection, breaks the wire. And this man had the presence of mind to grab the broken ends and allow his body to complete the circuit. So that as that radio broadcast came from London, it passed through the wire into his body out the other end through the wire to all of these listeners. There was a small price to pay, I'm not sure how small, the, the news articles that he wasn't seriously hurt. If you ask Mr. Vivian, I'm sure he might give you a different answer, but there was there was a price to pay for him to relay that, to relay that signal. As we, as we read now the prophets, the writings of the prophets, the words of the prophets, they were essentially God's radio transmission to his people. There was a word from the king that was coming and people who needed to hear it, and it was the prophets that God chose to speak through. Now, in our day, we, we don't need a prophet to come and say, this is what God says to you, this is what God is going to do, because through the finished work of Jesus Christ and him sending us the Holy Spirit, now God's Spirit is living in us. I don't need somebody to tell me, thus saith the Lord. I can go to God and say, God, what do you say? And so, so prophet, the role of prophet has changed slightly from the Old Testament to the New, but as we read Old Testament prophets, understand that that's their role. Their role is to stand in the gap between God and humanity. It's what Jesus came to ultimately fulfill as our priest and as our prophet and the one who stands in the gap for us. But as we, as we read Hosea, Hosea is, is an interesting story, to say the least. It is the Old Testament story of Pretty Woman, If you've read Hosea, you understand the reference. Some of you have seen the movie and haven't read Hosea, and you're like, this is going to be good. It is. (laughs) It's going to be really good if you've never read the story. But it's one of the most, I would say, overlooked books, not just because it's, it's found in the minor prophets. Those are the ones that we tend to skip over, unless we're taking up an offering, then we like to quote Malachi. But there are, there are minor prophets that we, we like to skip over, but the danger in skipping over the minor prophets is we miss out on, on aspects of God's character that we need revelation of. So this morning, as we, as we look at Hosea, you'll notice the TV is not up here with me, and anytime the TV is not up here with me, you know that that means we're going to do work today. We're not playing around. Hosea chapter one, beginning in verse one. says that the Lord gave this message to Hosea, son of Biri, during the years when Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah were kings of Judah, and when Jeroboam, the son of Jehoash, was king of Israel. Now again, based on, on the kings listed, we know that, that Hosea's role in his time as prophet during these kings, their kingships would last somewhere between 40 and 50 years. So that's it's about the time that most scholars think that Hosea served as prophet for God. Verse two, here's what, the Lord, here's what the Lord says. When the Lord first began speaking to Israel through Hosea, he says to him, go and marry a prostitute. Now imagine just briefly with me, if you would. You are the prophet. You are this man. You are this woman of God, faithfully serving him, surrounded by people who are living in spiritual idolatry. And God comes to you in your prayer time, comes to you during worship on a Sunday morning, comes to you as as you are are in this place of intimacy with God. And he says, hey, I have an assignment for you. And your response is, yes, Lord, what, what is it? He says, I want you to go and I want you to go down to the red light district. Yeah. And you want me to preach on the street corners? God, I'll do it. No, I want you to go and I want you to find yourself a wife. Like, hold on, like, you want me to what? He says, I want you to go and marry a prostitute. I think the, the, the NIV says, go and marry a promiscuous woman. If you're reading from the King James or the ESV today, it's, it's a little less kind with the language that is used. But he says, I want you to go and I want you to marry a prostitute. Why? So that some of her children will be conceived in prostitution. Okay, but God, but, but what is this going to accomplish? And God says, this will illustrate how Israel has acted like a prostitute by turning against the Lord and worshiping other gods. Lord, we thank you for your word today. God, we thank you even as, as Angel mentioned, your, your tender mercies, your loving kindness, God, today, as we, as we study your word, Lord, I pray that, that you would anoint me and anoint these words. Lord, that you would speak to each and every heart, those that are here in person, those that are watching online. Lord, that we wouldn't be able to, to encounter your word today and leave the same, but that your word would be transformational in our lives today. Lord, for some of us who need a revelation of who you are, And a revelation of your character and a revelation of how you view us and a revelation of who you are. God, I pray that that you would give that today. For those that need to be corrected, I pray that you would bring correction today. For those that need to be loved, I pray that you would love them today, Lord. For those that need to be encouraged, would you encourage today? Lord, we give this time to you. We set it apart for you and say, God, whatever you want to do, would you please do it, we pray. In Jesus' name. And everybody said... Amen. Hosea acts as as prophet mostly to the northern kingdom. We remember in our in our reading there's been a split after Solomon's son. Split in the, the nation of Israel, the northern ten tribes, often referred to in scripture as Israel, southern two, often referred to as Judah. Now, Hosea will will oftentimes call Israel Ephraim. So anytime you see Ephraim in the book of Hosea, just know that he's speaking to the northern kingdom, the northern. 10 tribes but but he's a he's a prophet to the to the northern kingdom and as we read through Hosea it's 14 chapters long but we see the same cycle that we've seen really for the past few months now it's the cycle of of disobedience it's the cycle of idolatry it's it's the cycle of God coming and saying we're supposed to be in covenant relationship but there's there's this time where where people of Israel are breaking the covenant. So God in the covenant has to bring discipline. But at the end of it all, God renews the covenant. We see the cycle played out and we see Hosea come and and he speaks to them. And and chapters one through three really deal with with Hosea and and God's call to Hosea to go and marry this promiscuous woman, to go and marry this prostitute. The, The effects of that in chapters one through three, chapters four through 14 really are our chapters of God's judgment, and if you read it this week, you you probably read one chapter and then you started reading the next chapter, and it's like, didn't I just read this? All right, like Groundhog Day. I, I feel like I just read this. It's it's very similar. It seems to be the same, and God is continuing to speak to to speak to speak judgment over Israel for their actions. But but as as the prophetic book, it's so much more. I think. I think it would be easy for us if we weren't careful or really weren't in tune with what God is saying through the book of Hosea, to read the book of Hosea strictly as a book of judgment against a nation who has turned their backs on him. He's, he paints a very clear picture in in 11 of the 14 chapters of what's going to happen to Israel as a result of their actions. And, and if again, if we read it strictly at face value, we would walk away saying, man, those people had it coming. They don't know what they're in store for. God is about to let it rain from heaven on them, and I'm not talking about in a good way. But, but the book of Hosea is so much more than that, and I love reading through this book because there is so much imagery. There's, there's imagery of, of the nation of Israel, but then God paints an image of himself as well. In chapters one through three, we see God as a jealous husband. In chapter four, we see him as a frustrated shepherd. In chapter five, he's a destructive moth and a ferocious lion. In chapter seven, he's a trapper who's who's ensnaring those who have gone against him. He's constantly giving them images so that when they When they think about God, they can connect it to something very similar to what Jesus did in his teaching when he came, and he he would often teach in parables, giving spiritual principles a real practical backbone so that people could understand what it is that he was was saying. As we read through the book of Hosea, there's two two main images that I want to talk to you about to make sure that we walk away with an understanding of. Two main images that God paints of himself through the writings of Hosea. And the first one is this. The first image that we see is God is a just judge. God is a just judge. And because God is a just judge, he demands justice. He demands justice to be served. And and one of the complaints that he has against Israel, and we've read it in Micah, we're reading it in Hosea, is that his people were, were twisting justice. They were perverting justice to meet their own needs. God is a just God, and we see that from the very beginning when he puts Adam and Eve in the garden and he tells them, you may eat the fruit of any tree except for that one. What did they do? that one. So what must God do? Now, because you have disobeyed, you will be removed from the garden. You can't come back into the garden. And not only will you be removed from the garden, but there will be real lifelong consequences, not just upon you, but all of your descendants leading up until this day, because God is a just judge. Justice must be done. And when we read Hosea, we see that God is a just judge. He tells, he tells Hosea, go and marry a prostitute. So verse 3, what happens? Hosea goes and he marries Gomer. <laughs> if any of you are expecting a child and you're looking for a good Bible name for your daughter, <laughs> may I not suggest Gomer. Hosea marries Gomer, the daughter of Diblaim, and she became pregnant and gave Hosea a son. And the Lord said, name the child Jezreel, for I am about to punish King Jehu's dynasty to avenge the murders he committed at Jezreel. In fact, I will bring an end to Israel's independence. Now, the word, the name Jezreel is really a play because in the ancient Hebrew language, it sounds almost identical. There's just one syllable that is pronounced differently than Israel. And so he's... he's, it's a play on, on words, but the name Jezreel can really mean one of two things because its definition is this. It's, it's the definition of Jezreel is God sows. And to an agricultural culture and society, when, when they thought about sowing, you could think about sowing in one of two ways. You could think about the farmer who grabs a bunch of seed and sows it. And he scatters the seed. He, he disperses the seed. And you can also think about a farmer who very carefully takes a seed and plants it and cultivates it and waters it. So the context that God is using Jezreel is really what he's saying is, what I want you to name your son is God will scatter. He will scatter because punishment is coming. And this isn't the only child that they had. Verse 6 says that soon Gomer became pregnant again. And gave birth to a daughter. And the Lord says to Hosea, name your daughter Lo-Ruhamah. Now, lo, the prefix lo means no or not. Ruhamah means to be loved. So he says, I want you to name your daughter not loved. For I will no longer show love to the people of Israel or forgive them. Lo-Ruhamah means not loved or no, no mercy, no compassion. Imagine God telling you to name your daughter that. Name your daughter, no love. You thought you had it bad, right? Like you, you thought you had it bad in middle school and kids picking on you for, oh, that was just me and weasel. Okay, I guess. You thought, you thought your name, you wish you could change your name. Here is poor little not loved and teacher is taking roll call. And she said, not loved. Are you here today? Yes, ma'am. I'm here. Now, why would God do that? Because these names are not just, they're not for these kids, but they're names to be a picture for all of Israel. They, these kids were walking billboards of God's judgment that was coming on the nation of Israel. Verse eight, that doesn't end there. Verse eight, after Gomer had weaned Lo-Ruhamah, she again became pregnant and gave birth to a second son. And the Lord said, name him Lo-Ami, which means not my people. For Israel is not my people and I am not their God. So here you are, the man of God, faithfully serving him. And God comes to you and says, because of the way that Israel has treated me, and because the way that the kings have led them astray, and because they're sacrificing their kids to these different gods, and because they they worship me by their lips alone, but their hearts are far from me, what I want you to do is I don't want you just to proclaim my judgment upon Israel, but I want to to give them a picture, and so name your son the one that God scatters, and name your daughter the the one that is not loved, name your other son, not my people, because that is Israel to me, the ones that I scattered, the ones that I will not show mercy to, the ones that are not my people. When we read that and when we understand that, we, we see an aspect of God's character as a judge and one who will demand justice be done. If that doesn't make you sit there and contemplate your entire life, I don't know what will. God demands justice. In chapter 2, we see more judgment, verses 9. God says this, Now I will take back the ripened grain and new wine I generously provided each harvest season. I will take away the wool and linen clothing I gave her to cover her nakedness. He's speaking to Israel. I will strip her naked in public while all her lovers look on. No one will be able to rescue her from my hands. I will put an end to her annual festivals, her new moon celebrations, her Sabbath days, all of her appointed festivals. I will destroy her grapevines and fig trees, things that she claims her lovers gave her. I will let them grow into tangled thickets where only wild animals will eat the fruit. I will punish her for all the times when she burned incense to her her images of Baal, when she put on her earrings and her jewels and she went out to look for her lovers, but forgot all about me. God is a jealous husband comes to Isaiah and says, I want you to marry a prostitute, marry a promiscuous woman who who will bear you children, not through your own seed, but from the seed of her lovers, and you are going to take care of them, and you are going to raise them, but you are going to name them this, to be a picture for all of Israel, of the way that I view them and ultimately my love for them. But he speaks to Israel and he says, you have chased these other gods as as a promiscuous woman would chase other lovers. And all these things that I gave you, you claim came from them. And so God says, now there, there must be justice. There must be judgment. See, God is a just God. He is holy, he is righteous, and he is sovereign. And we are an unholy and an unrighteous people. Who deserve judgment. The New Testament tells us that the wages of my sin and the wages of your sin is death. Each and every one of us, the Bible says, we have all sinned and fallen short of the standard that God has given us. As much as we want to look to Israel and say, how could you do that? How could you chase other gods? How often do we find ourselves chasing other lovers and giving our affection to all of these other things? And God's word to Israel is the same as his word to us. Why are you chasing these other things? It was me. I was the one who provided. I was the one who loved you. I was the one who picked you up. I was the one who healed your wounds. I was the one who took care of you. It wasn't these other things. We can come into church week after week and sing Jesus, Jesus. We can come and we can sing Jesus over our families. But then we leave and nothing's different. We pursue one lover on Sunday mornings and then we go and we pursue other lovers throughout the week, spiritually. We are as spiritually corrupt, we are as much spiritual prostitutes as Israel was in their day. We see in Hosea that God is a just judge. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And this wasn't just for Israel. 2 Corinthians 5 says this. We must all stand before Christ to be judged. We'll each receive whatever we deserve for the good or evil we have done in this earthly body. We can read the, the judgments of God in the Old Testament and say, well, that's Old Testament. I'm under the New Covenant. 2 Corinthians 5 is New Covenant. Read Revelation 20, when God will come to judge this world once and for all. God is a just judge, and he demands justice be done. And there is so much in my life that I deserve death for. I don't deserve grace, and I don't deserve mercy, and I don't deserve his faithfulness, and I don't deserve his love. I don't deserve anything that he gives me. I don't deserve the life that he has blessed me with. I don't deserve, I, I'm in no position to lead. God, I'm bankrupt. I'm broken. I'm messed up. God, I deserve judgment. And as we read Hosea, we see God's judgment. And it's a sobering reminder to us that one day we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. We will all have to give an account of every word that we've spoken and every deed that we've done. We see God speaking judgment. We see God telling Hosea, name your kids this and name your kids that because these are people that I don't love and these are people that I won't show mercy to. In fact, they're not even my people anymore. I'm thankful that Hosea doesn't, doesn't end there. you imagine the despair if that was the end of the book, if that was the end of the story? The story just ended like that, and we're like, all right, well, we'll see you next week. We would, we would leave this place with our heads down, our shoulders hanging low. Like, what, what hope do I have? What, what, what good is there to look forward to? What, what's, the, what's even the point of living this life? If I just deserve hell and eternal separation from God and judgment, then, then what's it all for? But I think of all of the Old Testament and all of the prophets, I think for me, maybe the clearest picture of the gospel and the good news of Jesus Christ is probably found in the book of Hosea. And it's no coincidence that in the Hebrew language, Hosea and Joshua are essentially the same name. Joshua and Jesus in Hebrew are essentially the, the same name. It's interesting to me how that God would choose this man to speak so clearly and show so clearly to his people and to us the image of Christ because not only do we see God as a just judge, but the, the other image that we see so clearly in this book is God as a loving father. God is just and God will judge, but God also loves and he's merciful and he's faithful we look at Hosea chapter 11, we see this imagery so clearly. God is speaking, and here's what he says. He says, when Israel was a child, I loved him. And I called my son out of Egypt. But the more I called to him, the farther he moved from me. Offering sacrifices to the images of Baal and burning incense to idols, I myself taught Israel how to walk. Leading him along by the hand. If you're a a parent here and you've taught your kid how to walk you you understand and it's very easy for you to connect with the imagery that he's portraying here he's saying as a father i would be there on my knees and i would have my my arms stretched out to my son saying follow me come to me this is this is the way you do it this is how you do it one foot in front of the other if you need to lean up against something you can you can lean up against me have you ever been there have you been there with your kids when you taught them how to ride a bike <laughs> It's hard. It's hard as a kid. It's hard as a parent. As a parent, you hold on to the seat and you have a hand on the steering wheel and then you let go and you kind of let them go on their own. And and it's really difficult depending on the makeup of your child. If you have a child who has high coordination, but his, his attitude may be a little bit less than, they fall one time and the one time they fall like, I'm done. This is over. This is stupid. I'm not going to ride a bike. You'll just take me everywhere I want to go. I'll run. I don't care. I'm not riding a bike. And then if you have a kid who has a great attitude but no coordination, they'll fall again and again and again with a smile on their face like, let's do it again. And, And depending on what you have determines how that teaching is going to go. But as a, as a parent teaching my kids to ride a bike, I never stood over them and judged them. It was difficult. In fact, we, we, I do have some footage of me teaching one of my kids to ride a bike. Do you want to see that? Yeah, go ahead and put that video on. A bike. I hate this bike. I hate this freaking bike. This stupid bike. I hate Nothing. Why you throw your bike away? Because I felt like it. Ma. Look at me when I'm talking to you. Clearly, that's not one of my children. That's <laughs> Daniel LaRusso from The Karate Kid. But I, I, I promise you, we've had that same conversation. <laughs> Stupid bike, I hate this bike. I'm never riding a bike. Son, why are you kicking your bike? Because I want to, Ma. Right? Like, <laughs> but as a parent, I remember teaching them to ride and they would fall. And when they fell, you know what I would do as their father? I wouldn't stand there with my arms crossed and a gavel in my hand ready to speak judgment or condemnation over them. What would I do? I would run over and I would pick them up and I would brush them off and I would say, son, it's okay, try again. Jewel, it's okay try again you can do it i know that you can do it i'm right here just trust me i'm not gonna let you get hurt i'm not gonna i'm not i'm not gonna fail you just do you do you trust me i trust you dad okay then listen to me if you'll trust me and listen to me and just obey li- listen to my instruction and if you'll do what i tell you to do and and don't ride too fast don't ride too far ahead of me but you can't ride too slow we have to go at the same pace and if you just be close to me and listen to me and trust me and, and obey my instruction then then it's gonna work out well for you. That's what God's saying. That's what he's saying throughout the prophets. Don't run ahead of me and don't run behind me, but if you'll just be close to me, if you'll just trust me, if you'll just obey, if you'll just listen, if you'll just heed my instruction, then then things will go well for you. You'll get what you want and you'll get to where you want to go, but you can't do it on your own. You have to be dependent on me. But it's his children so often, as he says, they They move further away from me. When I draw close to them, they they leave me. He says, I taught Israel how to walk, leading him along by the hand, but he doesn't know or even care that it was was I who took care of him. I led Israel along with my ropes of kindness and my love, and I lifted the yoke from his neck, and and I myself stooped down to feed him. Verse 8, he says, how can I give you up? How can I let you go? How can I destroy you like Adma or demolish you like Zeboim? He says, my heart is torn within me. And my compassion overflows. How about that for a picture of God? When he looks at you, he says, my heart is torn. My heart I, just, I want nothing more than to be close to you but the closer I get the further you move away and you're worshipping these other things and you're pursuing these other loves and when I look at you yes you deserve justice and you deserve mercy and you deserve are ju- you deserve judgment but my heart breaks inside of me and all that can flow out of it is compassion In your sin, that's how God looks at you with compassion and a broken heart. We have this image of God as a judge and rightfully so because he is that. But when we look to him, we also have to be able to see him as a loving father, as the one who has chosen to adopt us into his own family who has now, as our father, put down the gavel and come to pick us up in our mess. God, in his love for us, he showed it by while we were still sinners sending his son. He didn't make us clean ourselves up first. He says, I'm your father and I love you. And for some of us, it's hard to understand that. It's hard for us to see God as a loving father because either one, we're not parents yet. Trust me, when you become a father, everything changes. The way that a child loves his father and the way a child loves his mother, thats incredible. It's a great love. It's a powerful love. But there is, there is no love like, like a parent to their child. In fact, we had this conversation with Jewel last night. She was laying in her bed. She said, I love you, mom. I love you, dad. And I said, I love you more. And We always have this like back and forth. Whoever says I love you first ends up winning because I love you. And then the other person says, I love you more. And then the third person gets to The other person can say, I love you most. And there's nothing. It's like that scene in Avengers when Tony Stark's daughter says, I love you 3,000. Like that's, as a parent, like, okay. And he let her have that. Like, that's cute. I'm glad that you loved me 3,000. But as parents, we know that our kids' love for us doesn't even begin to compare to our love for them. Maybe we can't understand the love of a father because we didn't have a loving father growing up ourselves. Maybe all we know of a father is one with a belt and one who deserts and one who leaves and one whose only interest is is in what they want and their desires and what works for them. As 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 a father, I want nothing more than and to love my kids the best way that I can, as imperfect as I am, so that when they look to their heavenly father, they can understand at least a little bit of what a father's love looks like. And as they're in relationship with him, they can, they can grow in that. One of the fav- my favorite things every night, my daughter goes to bed, I lay her in bed and I tell her every night before I leave her room, I say, you're my favorite princess because she's my only princess say, you're my favorite princess. And she looks back up to me and she says, Daddy, you're my favorite king. Daddy, you're my favorite king. And there's nothing that blesses me more than having my daughter look to me as her favorite king. But one day, when she has a personal revelation of her heavenly father's love for her, grateful that she can look at me and say, Daddy, you're you're my favorite king. But that she'll look at her heavenly father one day and say, God, you're my favorite king. Because you love me and because of the way that you take care of me. And God is our heavenly father. He looks down on us with a broken heart, bent over, torn up on the inside. If you've ever had a son or a daughter, walk away rebel and leave, then you understand that pain. You understand that hurt. You understand staying up at night wondering what's going on. You understand calling out and and crying out. God, just keep them safe. Just protect them. Just watch over them. God, bring them home. You understand what that's like. And God, when he looks at you, he looks at you the same. Just brokenhearted for you. The problem is we look to God and we think that he's standing there with a gavel ready to cast judgment upon us. But if you've placed your faith in Jesus, here's the good news. You've been adopted into his family. And if you've been adopted into his family, he's put the gavel down and now he's your father. He just wants to love you. He just wants to be with you. We, we, We see this in the story of Hosea. Hosea chapter three is the shortest chapter, but I think so clearly, gives a gospel presentation. Hosea chapter 3, verse 1, the Lord said to me, go and love your wife again. He's speaking to Hosea now. He says to Hosea, go and love your wife again. Even though she commits adultery with another lover, this will illustrate that the Lord still loves Israel. Even though the people have turned to other gods and they love to worship them. So what does Hosea do? He says, I bought her back. For 15 pieces of silver, five bushels of barley, and a measure of wine. 15 pieces of silver was the going rate for a slave. He says, so I bought her back. It's interesting to me, several things in the scripture, God says to go love your wife again. Notice he didn't just say, go get her. He didn't just say, go pay for her. Take her home, lock her up in the house, make sure she doesn't embarrass you anymore. Keep her in the basement. He says, go love her again. Go love your wife again. Now imagine Hosea having to walk through the market, taking care of children who are not yours. You've got scattered, no love, not my people, at home. And now you're walking through and people are, are already talking about you like, hey, there's Hosea. I wonder where he's going. And you, you go down to the market and you find your, your wife who's, Who's probably has, has no choice but to be in slavery at this point, being sold as a prostitute, and you buy her back. And everyone's like, why? Imagine, imagine his friends. Why are you, why are you doing this? She, she's done nothing to deserve this. She's done, done nothing but embarrass you and dishonor you and dishonor those around her. Why are you going to buy her back? And he says, because I love her. Extend compassion to her, extend mercy to her, God says. We see it in the second half of chapter one because right after God says, here's what I want you to name them. Verse 10, here's what God says. The time will come when Israel's people will be like sands of the seashore, too many to count. Then at the place where they were told, you are not my people, it will be said, you are the children of the living God. Then the people of Judah and Israel will unite together. They will choose one leader for themselves. They will return from exile. And what a day that will be, the day of There's that word again, Jezreel, when God again will plant his people in this land. He says, you went from those that God scatters to one day you will be those that God carefully plants. In that day, you will call my brothers not lo-ami, but you will call your brothers ami, my people. And you will call your sisters not lo-ruhamah, the ones that are not loved, but you will call them ruhamah, the ones that are loved. See, God comes and Hosea isn't just a book of judgment, but it's also a book of God's mercy. I'm going to invite the worship team to come back this morning if they would. It's not just about God's judgment on his people. Yes, that's there because he is a just judge, but the God of Hosea is a God of loving mercy. He's a God who is faithful even to a faithless people. First half of chapter two, we read it and we saw the promises of judgment. But again, the chapter doesn't end there because the second half of chapter one shows God's mercy. The second half of chapter two shows God's mercy. Verse 14 says, then I will win her back once again. I will lead her into the desert and speak tenderly to her there. I will return her vineyards to her and transform the valley of trouble into a gateway of hope. If you need God to transform your trouble into hope, then you're in the right place today. She will give herself to me there as she did long ago when she was young, when I freed her from captivity in Egypt. When that day comes, says the Lord, you will call me my husband instead of my master. What's interesting, the New Living Translation, translate that my master, King James ESV says my Baal. Baal was a, a general term for, for the other gods that were worshipped in that, in that area, in that region. He says, in that day, you will call me your husband, not just one of the gods that you serve. You will be intimate with me again, not just, I won't just be one of many. I will be your one and only. He says, you will call me, you will know me as your husband. Oh, Israel, I will wipe the many names of Baal from your lips. You will never mention them again. I will make you my wife forever, showing you righteousness and justice, unfailing love and compassion. I will be faithful to you and make you mine, and you will finally know me as the Lord. It's a beautiful book, and it so descriptively and accurately gives us a picture of God's character We see in the book of Hosea that God, yes, is a just judge. And because he is just and because he is the judge, judgment must be given. But at the very same time, God is also a loving father. And so you might be sitting there today and you're asking the question, okay, then how do you reconcile the two? Because how can God be the one who judges me knowing that I've done everything wrong that I've done and I'm going to continue to do in the future, knowing how imperfect I am, how can God be my judge and also be a loving father? I I can't understand how the two can be one. How do you reconcile that? You reconcile that with the gospel. You reconcile that with the good news of Jesus Christ. And because God is a just judge, and yes, because you deserve and a penalty must be paid for your sin, the loving Father sent his Son to take upon himself the penalty for all of us. God put the iniquity of us all on him. God took him who knew no sin to be sinned that we might be the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. How do you reconcile the two? Because the judge sent his son to die on my behalf and to die on your behalf. And in that moment, my sin was imputed to God, as to Jesus as he he hung on that cross and he took upon himself my sin and your sin once and for all. And he gave up his life because a life had to be given. And he said, it is finished. And he was placed in the grave. And three days later, he got up. And when he got up, his righteousness was imputed to us. It was deposited into our account. And so there was this exchange where my sin was in Jesus' account and Jesus' righteousness was placed in my account. So now when I look to God, he's not my judge, but he's my father. And the problem with so many of us, Is that when we think about god all we think of god is the god who's standing there with his arms folded a gavel in his hand ready to cast judgment upon us and so it causes us to run and it causes us to hide and it causes us like adam and eve to to cover ourselves in our shame and say god i don't want you to see me like this because you're a judge and you're going to judge me And the father looks at you and he says, my heart is broken for you. All I wanna do is provide for you. All I wanna do is love you. All I wanna do is be intimate with you. You're here today and you're wondering why my life hasn't changed. I've been in church for for so many years, but nothing's different. It's just the same stuff over and over and over again. It's because you're continuing to view God as a judge and you haven't met him as your father. Because you can't be intimate with a judge. A judge is a transactional relationship, but a father is transformation. Why do I continue to sin? Because all you see is a judge when you see God. Why am I not drawn to the heart of God? Because you don't know him as your father. Jesus said, if you love me, your obedience to my commands will come out of that love for me. but you'll never obey me until you love me. You can't love a judge, but you can love a father. How do you reconcile the two? You reconcile the two with Jesus, who came as fully God and lived as fully man and grabbed heaven with one hand and grabbed us with the other hand so that we might be redeemed. What does it mean to redeem? To redeem means to buy back. It's what Hosea did and. Hosea chapter three, as he went down to the market and he said, I don't care what people say and I don't care what people think and I don't care about the humiliation. Imagine the, the humiliation he would have felt, but imagine the humiliation that Jesus felt. As he was stripped naked, as he was spat on, as his beard was ripped from his face, as he bore the lashes for you. Imagine, imagine what, what he felt walking up that road, carrying the cross, knowing he didn't deserve any of that. He did it because he loved you. We see it in Hosea and we see it in the New Testament. Today, I don't know where you find yourself. I don't know what you came in here dealing with and I don't know what your view of God is, but but today, if you need to encounter God as your father, I wanna leave us a little bit of time just to be able to do that. If you would just stand with me wherever you're at, just just go ahead and stand. If you're watching at home, I would encourage you just to, to bow your head. But I want you to search your heart. God, what is my view of you? God, have I only encountered you as my judge? Have I been running from you in my shame and in my pain and in my sin because because I haven't had a revelation of you as my loving father who is there with a broken heart and, and flowing with compassion who wants to just pick me up and brush me off and help me and heal me and lead me by the hand. Lord, we thank you. Heavenly Father, we we thank you. We thank you that you are the God of Hosea. The God who, who asked Hosea to do this difficult thing to illustrate your heart for your people. And yes, this was Israel, but we've been adopted into the family of Abraham. So today, Lord, we are on me. We are your people. Lord, we thank you that you're the God of Hosea, but God, I also thank you that you're the God of Gomer. Yet, even though we prostitute ourselves out spiritually and we pursue other lovers when we have called to intimacy with you, that your heart for us doesn't change and your heart is still there as a jealous husband who longs to have his wife back. As a loving father who loves longs to have his, his child back. And we thank you for who you are. This morning, here's what I want us to do. If we can just dim the lights just a little bit. I've asked the worship team to come back and to sing a song. They're gonna lead us in a song we haven't sang in a while. They're gonna lead us in reckless love. Song about God's love for us and his pursuit of us. And this morning, I want us just to take, I don't wanna put a time on it. Take a few minutes, we'll say that. I want us to take some time. If you're out there and you read the book of Hosea and there's conviction in your heart because like Israel, you have pursued other things and you need to come back to God, then I want to open up the altars and I want to invite you down. And as we sing this and as we worship him and as the team leads us in this time, just come down and find a place, a place of repentance. Just come down and find a place where you can say, God, forgive me. God, I turn from those things. I turn from my sinful ways and I want to pursue you. Maybe you're out there and And all you understand and all you know of God is is God as a judge. And if you're here today and you've never had a revelation of God as your loving father, I want you to respond as well. And I want you to come down here and find a place where you can just get alone with God, where you can worship him and thank him for his love and thank him for his mercies and ask God to give you a revelation of his heart for you of his love for you, of how he views you. So this morning, as the worship team comes and leads us, I just want to invite you again, if if you are that spiritual harlot, as many of us are, who worship one lover on Sunday mornings, but we have many lovers during the week, you want to repent of that, The altars are open. If you're out there and you say, God, I don't want you just to be my judge, but I want to know you as my father, then I would invite you down and come get a revelation of who God is this morning. At Dream City Omaha, we're all about helping each other do three things. Discover Christ, recover identity, and uncover purpose. Please check out our past sermon series or online discipleship classes And don't forget to hit subscribe and the bell for notifications on all of our latest videos.